Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Laura. And I'm Lisa. And today we will be talking about longing. When I think about longing, I think about it in two distinct fashions. I think about a quote by Khalil Gibran that talks about how longing is the space between imagination and attainment. And I think about a second sense in which longing is the perception of profound lack, where there is a displaced object that must be sought, that one does not have, that's an unmet need or desire, and that longing is an expression of wanting that displaced object. I think that there are both positive and negative ways to understand longing as techniques of understanding how desire functions. When you talk about that lack, I think a lot about longing as an economic factor, like how people think about their economic condition and wanting to, you know, to advance their material condition in particular. Mm -hmm. And that's the most, I mean, obviously they long for a better quality of life and that's harder to articulate than the particular material things that they want, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a Furby for their kid for Christmas or, you know, a luxury sedan. (laughs) I think a lot about how people have unlimited wants and how longing just never ends because there's always lack. I talked to students about this and I would ask, so if you had a luxury sedan, what would you want next? And they were like, a bigger house. And one student raised their hand and they were like, I would have my own private island. And I, I engaged him in further discussion. I was like, okay, so you have a private island you have all of those material things that you want. Do you long for anything else is basically the question that I asked. And he thought for a second and he said, a hotter wife. <laughs> so I'm Yeah, thinking, totally. So even if you have everything, like That's longing, terrible. It's terrible. It's so terrible. You know, but it's so it's, predictable though. It is. And I mean longing can can be about material things like that or like oh, yeah. physical things like that. But also it, there's a lot of nuance. to longing that I think we can both begin to speak to. I mean, there's a longing in like the prevalence of list culture. You know how people make all of these to-do lists. It's like, how do you complete your to-do list? And, you know, I'm guilty of clicking on links that are like 25 (laughs) books you need to read as a, every feminist needs to read. I'm like, do you put them on your vision board? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's a lo- On your Pinterest. I mean, these are yeah. spaces of digital longing. They like, are. Pinterest is a space of digital longing. People cruise eBay or Amazon. There are space apps of that help longing. you, like, catalog your wants. Oh, yeah. The, the way that longing is expressed is a historical production of capital. It's not like something that's in, is always statically intrinsic to being human. But I, you, but you're right that capitalism co-ops longing and creates negative cycles of longing. I, th- I, I was thinking about coveting as a negative expression of longing, and I was thinking about how coveting leads to like the self-help market. 
and how self-loathing propels that kind of negative longing. I was also thinking about unrequited love and its relationship to regret as part of these negative cycles of longing for things that we can't have, often because of sabotage (laughs) or of our own inability to fulfill our own desires. So I think that there are those negative aspects of the way in which capital co-ops longing. But I also think that there's a relationship between longing and hunger. And I was thinking about craving and what it means to be full instead of empty or to be satiated or to no longer have a a need gnawing inside of you. And so for me, longing is also, I mean, we we leapt really quickly into the digital, into, you know, spaces where longing is displaced into the virtual. But I also feel like longing is a sensorial experience, you know, it's butterflies in the stomach, it's, it can be like you know, physical haunting. It's sensory. It's about skin and it's about gestures and interpersonally it's about eye contact and touches that linger. And so there's part, like even while it's it's very clear to see how desire has been displaced to the digital in the day-to-day interactions between people where longing is about human contact, which is ultimately what I think longing is, there's a very strong component that is about how to test out desires in a way that minimizes the possibility of rejection when people are learning how to articulate what they want. I mean, I think there are just a lot of senses in which longing functions as something that tethers us to social expectations, whether they're about capital or whether they're about relationships or both. I think you're right. And I think longing is most urgent when it is related. Well, what is physical? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, part of that's a memory thing in you, like since triggers memory a lot, the things that I can articulate about my longing that I long for the most are things that I've had access to in the past or things that I'm very close to or like seem within reach or things that I experience in the day to day. And a lot of those are sensory, like taste. And, you know, you're like, I'm hungry for this thing. In a very base sense of the word, like, I want some Mexican food in my face (laughs) right now, you know. (laughs) Those are the things that are most articulable about longing. But what about, what is it to long about, long for things that you can't articulate or long for things that are impossible or out of reach, or even even long for things that might be troubling, destructive, destructive for you. Yeah, or yeah, long for things that would destroy your world as it exists now. And people do that all the time. All the time, you know, like trans and queer people, all the time are like longing for a particular identity that they don't have access to immediately. What is it to long for those kinds of things, and how does that? How do you think that? I mean, it's hard because I I was thinking about the relationship between longing and love, which I assume we'll come back to in the love episode later in the season. But I feel like longing is an intensely individualized series of feels where love is a two-way street. Love can be collaborative. Longing is very rarely. Longing is about sort of individual fantasy scapes and about places to explore lack and that can be really very positive but that's an individual thing it's a way that people occupy their time I feel like a lot of people especially digitally 
do longing as a distraction. Like I have friends who fan, who plan trips just so they can fantasize about it for months ahead of time before they go because that's a productive fantasy scape where they can defer their desires long enough to be able to just like continue pushing through the bullshit minutia of their day-to-day life. You know, I feel like longing gets used in this way to help prolong the deferral of desire. And that can be both a productive and destructive space simultaneously, to me, I think. I mean, it seems like that longing can be painful, right? When you have a longing for things that are impossible, when you have a nostalgia for things that never were or for what might have been, when longing becomes regret for things that one did inappropriately or never did, or for not being better or longing to be someone else, Or I think that longing can be just a general sense of dissatisfaction. But there's also a part of me that feels like longing can be a really productive space of thinking through new imaginaries, and it can be a kind of utopia. I think that on the whole, when it's harnessed by capitalism is when it gets the most destructive, because then people can often become obsessive about their longings, and then it seems like they have no chance to outrun the object that they long for, like it becomes something that their identity is dependent on. There's nowhere to hide. It's a complete and total Mm -hmm. obsession. That doesn't seem like productive longing, but it's also then ironic to say that it's productive if it's outside of the mode of capital, so... I mean, longing can be productive in that it creates a lot of art and a lot of music. Maybe they're not productive in that they, like, don't advance a particular... um, They're not... They don't create, like, a particular object that people will then consume necessarily in a monetary way. But, like, how can you say that someone's expression of their longing through an artwork or a piece of music is not productive? Well, it's funny Because I was thinking about Leonard Cohen's The Book of Longing, in particular the very first poem, which is The Book of Longing, which is, I mean, is an example of what it means to produce art from the space of lack and to hunger for another kind of experience. You know, in in this case, it's personified as the female, and it's about desiring the woman who has not arrived yet for him. And I think that romance i'm using that word sort of sloppily but sexual desire connection romance whatever all of those things run together become the space for intense longing and i think that can also be productive but obviously it's also harnessed by capital in really destructive sentimental horrible ways but i think that thinking through that sense of longing leads us to how idealization (laughs) is manifested like Mm. It's not that it's not productive to think about what would you like an ideal partner, but that, I mean, that creates expectations that are completely unmanageable. Nobody can live, live up to that. All it does is sow the seeds of disappointment. I think our culture does a terrible job, actually, of thinking about longing in creative, consubstantial, productive ways. The idea of marriage to becoming one is idiotic to me. From a mathematical perspective, it's like, no, one plus one equals two. One plus one doesn't equal one. You know, it's like the additive property <laughs> right. of coming together. And I think and a sentimentality destroys the sexiness of longing and makes it something bad. I think uh, so much longing is about unexpressed 
notions or unexpressed desires. Yeah. And a lot of times it gets placed. That longing gets placed onto objects that are easy to see or feel Mm -hmm. that are sensory or like physical or easy to purchase. Like, so that, you know, and I had some reservations about talking about longing as like a driver of economic, you know, but I think it relates a lot to like the fact that what people long for is like very difficult to express. And that a lot of times, you know, that's why it's easy for capitalism to co-opt to longing. And that's why it's easy for mm-hmm. us to conflate romance with a different kind of longing. You think this person is going to provide the relief, the satiation, yeah, the fullness that you thought you could feel. Yep. Longing is really a lot deeper than that. You know, it's about the things that we're apprehensive about and unsure about. And it's about our nuances and our idiosyncrasies and longing for people to understand them and connect with them. And romance touches on that briefly, but it is not the answer that a lot of people think. I mean, it is not what people are longing for, truly, it because it's super complex. It is so much more complex than just finding one partner who will fill all of your needs <laughs> on demand. Fill all of your, yeah. <laughs> There's absurd. no one partner who can erase hunger for you That's or right. longing for you. But for some reason, a lot of longing just gets directed towards that feeling. Because people are told that that's what makes them feel complete. I mean, it's just t- it's such a total sham. I mean, they're told that's is what make, makes them feel complete. They're told that having a career and oh, leaning yeah. in and advancing in their career will make them feel complete. They're often told to great misfortune that having a kid will make them feel complete. Uh, and that preach is, it. Just like on a very basic level, above and beyond sort of the relationship between longing and hunger and the, the, the connection between hunger and desire is the fact that people long for recognition. So in a culture that does not recognize women as people, and this one does not, then the recognition of women as mother by the child as a primary relationship is something that gets substituted for their ability to meet their own needs in a culture that denies them the tools to do so. So that seems like a total problem to me. And so then you have the idealization. So it's romantic idealization about a partner where this phantom partner becomes a repository of everything you think you've ever wanted from like Prince Charming to whatever the latest rom-com is. And then there's the idealization of parenthood and the idealization of career. And I think for a lot of people, the longing is about the having the thing. It's about acquisition and not active verb doing, doing things together. It's not about collaboration. So that creates a tension between desires and longing and boundaries. I also think that longing often undermines the possibility of loving or being loved because the expectations in romantic longing can be so ridiculous. I mean, like terrible that people cannot ever find someone who meets all the criteria in their list. And they feel like they can't love or be loved because they long to be someone different and they long to be with someone different because people want to be recognized and seen and understood. They also have intense fears 
of their idealized other withdrawing affection if conditions for relationality are not met. And that seems like, I mean, I am completely guilty of just walking out of relationships. Because I'm like, this is not meeting my needs. It's not meeting yours and you can't see it. This is not working. We're done here. Everybody needs to do their own thing. But I feel like a ton of people have a lot of trauma about longing to be in relation. They sabotage being in relation and then they completely shut down because they have a fear that their sabotage will cause the other partner to withdraw. And it's just like this very broken communication circuit around inarticulated desires. If yeah. people could just be more honest about their desires, relationships would run more smoothly and well, be more, I don't know, satisfying. I don't know. Well, I think longing has been coded by extrinsic rewards. You know, like oh, yeah. you were saying people long for recognition, but they don't just long for like someone to quietly say, you did a good job. Or like someone to like one person to be like, you're doing a good job. I mean, that's not enough. All of longing has been coded to the extreme of recognition, to, like, vast material wealth, yeah, to, like, robust, visible friendships. It's not enough that you have a personal friend. It's, like, people have this, like, desire to throw crazy parties and, like, be seen as a socialite. Longing has been drawn to its extreme, and that's been exacerbated, you know, by those digital forms, too, because Pinterest isn't, like about how to send cute notes to your friends. It's like how to be a great host for a, for a party. I mean, there's so many digital media that encourage people to channel their desires into these like very external rewards. Yeah. And that's very different, I think, from internal longing. And there is an internal long- longing for recognition, but that gets overwhelmed, I think, by... Being, you know, being around other people and, like, the competition of it. And that creates even more longing and, like, distress. I think there's a relationship between, like, distress and the dissatisfaction and even, like, malaise mm-hmm. and longing. You have these grand ideals about even, like, in your workplace or what you'll accomplish or what friendships you'll cultivate. And they just get swallowed up by the realities of your day-to-day. The thing that happens with capital is that the ima- people's imagination gets co-opted. The entire structure of their longing is predicated upon structures of belonging that are extremely narrow and rigid. So to be the right kind of women you have to look like X, right? So you have to be thin and you have to exercise all the time and you, right, there are certain ways that you eat and comport yourself and dress and blah, 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 blah. These like, you know, expressions of constant discipline over your body, the tyranny of slenderness. It's also the case that when people's desires get funneled into these narrow role expectations, they stop imagining other ways to be. You know, we were talking earlier in the day about longing and what we long for. I think that I long for playmates. <laughs> I, I long for people who are willing to play in the messiness of relation and fail and succeed and fail and succeed and motivate each other to be creative. That's that's the thing that I long for. And that's a privilege to have play as something that you long for. 
you know, because I am materially successful and I'm, you know, have a career and, you know, all of the other whatever markers of the culture. But as even as a young kid, the thing that always motivated me was finding playmates that would connect over the ideas or projects or impulses that I had and that would meet me there in a way that I found unique. I like, I'm interested in weirdos. <laughs> I want to spend time connecting with weirdos in a way that helps expand the possibilities to imagine other ways of, you know, arranging our, ourselves and our labor in the world. Well, one thing I think about longing, particularly for things that are actually self-motivated and not like externally motivated, yeah. um, which we talked about being kind of dangerous and constrictive and very parallel to the idea of leaning in. One thing I think is that it actually opens up opportunities. Like it's not like a asking you shall receive type situation, but I feel like if you long for something and you're seeking it, it's mm. good for you. I feel like longing is very productive because it it allows you to see opportunities that you would not have otherwise seen. I mean, the opportunities are there and they're always there. And I wonder if you miss out on things if you don't long for them. Mm. You know, I, I think that longing can be very useful, mm, especially smart. for like cultivating friendships if you're longing for like a particular playmate you know as you said mm -hmm. if you're longing for a playmate you're more likely to see the playful aspects of people and their potential to play with you whereas you might have like just entirely bypassed that so i think longing is a really really useful uh, that's way, <laughs> way to spend your time and i think it's a lot of what's driven really important social movements you know like I think of Betty Friedan, you know, mm. longing and to share. Mystique, yeah. yeah. Longing to share. I think about housewives just looking for an out, you know, longing for something other than their role being largely consumatory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Domestic. We have advanced so far, and I feel like we owe a lot of that to just individual longing. I mean, that translates then to seeking, mm -hmm. and then that translates to finding, to attainment. and that tra mm -hmm. translates to attainment. And as, as we discussed earlier, attainment is never a real option, but your longing can then expand. I think I like that because as I was thinking about longing and senses and the sensorial, I hadn't thought about how longing trains our gaze, you know, our vision, even though I was joking about vision boards, I didn't come full circle at the beginning of the conversation about that. But you're absolutely right that longing does train us to look for different things. So I think one of the things that, at least for me, is different in the way that I relate to other people is that I'm happy to be cool with how people are inside of their own bodies and faces about their stuff. I'm like, this is my goal and this is my project. You, if you want to do this thing with me, I'm like super down and you can do it in any way that you want. Here are my boundaries. Here's the project. Come at me. Like, let's get weird. I'm like, ah, if this is not quite what I had in mind, like, let's reorient and let's collaborate on how we can come together 
for this thing. I'm also willing to go the other way though. Like you have a project that I'm interested in, then I'm going to bring a bunch of creative approaches to it. And then I just expect other people to calibrate me based on their own boundaries and expectations. The problem is, is that the longing substitutes for the learning how to do that negotiation. And so instead you just have people just colliding, <laughs> you know, into one another without the language to talk about what they want. And for me, that as a communication person, as somebody who does this intimacy work like really regularly, that is can be very frustrating, even while I think I do a, a really good job of holding space and having a ton of empathy for when the people collide over inarticulate desires and things that don't necessarily match, mash up in terms of what kind of work we want to do together. I think you and I work well together because we communicate very well about what we want to do together. What do we want the podcast to be? What does lean back mean to us? How are we seeing it in our day-to-day -day lives? How are we practicing it? How are we talking about it with other people? And that's a constant open door. We see each other in a profound way. We long for similar things for the thing that we're working on. We also have the language to be able to execute it so that it can actually be attained. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, from a communication perspective, it's the absence of the language that hampers people's ability to translate longing into attainment. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is a recognition of your longing that has to take place, but then a real desire to like feed, <laughs> yeah, you know, to like alleviate that longing or to like, to use it. I've been in so many meetings where people are like, they're like, oh, I'm an idea person. I'm just, I'm just like, okay, but here are some actionable items that we need to do to, like, execute that idea. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, I'm the idea person, though. I came up with that idea. And I'm like, great. Keep thinking about that idea because it's, it's not going to happen. So there is a thing where longing for something can displace Action. actually yeah. participating or actually creating or actually doing. And that... In that way, I mean, it helps you see opportunities, but also... Self-loathing is that way, though. Yeah. You know, self-loathing is the kind of longing that stunts all action. I also think about longing as, like, this giant, you know, Great Dane inside of you. <laughs> and if you overfeed it, it overtakes you. I think the people who use longing the most creatively understand that it's their responsibility to meet their own needs and that the role of other people in their life is to, is to play in that space mm -hmm. and to collaborate but not to meet the needs you're responsible for meeting your own needs nobody can do that for you and the sooner people find that out the healthier the relationships are because then they start articulating their actual desires because their needs are met the problem is is that people don't meet their needs and so then they want one person to fulfill all of their needs. They want some magical romantic partner to fulfill all of their needs, to feed all of their hungers in every way, and to complete them. And that is an impossible task. Impossible. So then people never learn the skills to be confident that they can manage their own vision for their lives, and they give up, and their imagination dies, and they become bitter and resentful and trapped. And that is not good. That is not yeah. good. <laughs> I mean, I totally agree that longing should be dealt with with your own personal skills trying to articulate it as best as possible use self-reflection <laughs> spending time with your feelings and understanding where your longing is placed and what that means and what you want that's very important because when longing goes 
you know, <laughs> when longing is so undirection, it can be like so chaotic. And that's why campaigns like Donald Trump's have just taken off, like make America great again. That's a, that is a slogan that totally feeds or is totally based in longing. But it's like a bunch of people's undirected longing. I mean, they have no idea what it is that they want. And part of what is so successful about that slogan is that it's so general. Yep. Like everyone can just place their individual thoughts about what was great, if it was great at all. <laughs> you know, they can place their own individual affections for the past. And it's well documented that you have a better memory of favorable conditions than unfavorable. You're, you tend to shut out memories that don't serve a favorable identity of yourself or your past. I mean, longing can be very useful if you identify it and you figure out what it's about and it helps you see the opportunities as we discussed before, but it's also can be very chaotic and dangerous if it goes unarticulated and can be generalized in this very, I mean, it doesn't mean anything at that point. You just have this like long and directionless. It's just directionless affect. Here's a question though. What do you think about the relationship between longing and passion? It is very difficult to generate passion. And in that, that sounds so clinical. It's really difficult (laughs) (laughs) to experience passion without longing. I think it's a prerequisite. Longing is a prerequisite for passion. But again, it has to be a longing that you are very familiar with and that you spend the time with and that you can identify. It's one thing to just be hungry to eat. It's another thing to be hungry for this very specific restaurant on Bowl Street in Austin, Texas. That is a useful type of longing because then you can communicate it and then you can share it and then you can you can use that longing to make decisions that will advance your needs. That's not that's not specifically passionate because you long for things that are there's like a hierarchy of needs that sure. have to be met. Once your needs are met in that way, there's like a hunger for another thing and a, a lot of people long for passion but don't articulate that they want to have, you know, maybe they're interested in a particular kink sexually and they want to express their passion in that way and they long for that but there's no resources for them to express it and maybe they don't figure it out you know for a Mm -hmm. long time and then there's the longing maybe maybe you just want to have a relationship with a platonic girlfriend where you are able to divulge and deconstruct things in your life and that's another type of passion that people long for and I mean, I think that's part of self-actualization. I do too. I don't think that people can find passion without being passionate. Like, are you passionate in some stuff? If you aren't, I don't, it's hard for me to understand how you're longing for passion if you're not living it. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) It seems very difficult for me to see how people long so intently on a thing that they're unwilling to cultivate in themselves or 
and I mean unwilling and perhaps unable. I mean structurally unable because of all the things we always talk about here, segregation, poverty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, structural inequality. But, you know, I think that the relationship between passion and longing is an important one because I think a lot of people long for an intensity of affect that they're not getting in their daily lives because they're spending it longing for consumer goods, which obviously do not produce passion. The, the acquisition and utility of consumer goods does not produce passion at all. And so I think people, as they get older, people who fall into that sort of consumer racket they don't understand why they feel so alienated and disenfranchised and disconnected. But the fact is that they have, you know, really stunted their ability to produce the kinds of creative discourses that connect people and create, you know, interpersonal passion because they have no passions of their own. I mean, I, I certainly think that, you know, again, that longing is expressed a lot through art and through music. And that's like a space where people express their passion as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think longing comes out when you're hyper intimate with someone, or even if you're like mm-hmm. drunk with someone, like situations that allow you to say whatever you want, where your words can become like neologisms. You're not constricted to a particular um, set of expectations, you know? The thing that I think is really good about expressing your passion through, like, music and art and even in that way when you have, like, flow with a person is that the limitations seem, like, the barriers that were, like, initially constrictive to your longing are kind of erased and you can express your longing in that way. I think that that's why as the rich-poor gap increases, you have increasing substance abuse. Because it's the substances that help people get to fantasy scapes where they can imagine their way out of the structural violence that is part of, you know, capitalist culture. And interpersonally, that translates into, you know, repression and inability to speak the things that one wants, whether or not they're attainable. As we circle back to longing and its relation to capital, I guess I think I want to take a closer look at the relationship between longing and leaning in and leaning out. At the beginning of the conversation, I was sort of talking about these two senses in which longing is the space between imagination and attainment and the way in which longing is the displacement of a desire or an object of attachment. So how do you think listeners should think about the relationship between longing and leaning in and leaning back? Again, you have to be very clear about what it is that you long for. I mean, it requires a lot of self-reflection. So it's one thing to long for things that have been, like, materially prescribed or, like, prescribed as something that should be desirable for you. Just the general set of items or desires or, you know, like, income brackets that you should like aspire to as a, you know, however you grew up. So, and I think lean in kind of restructures longing to focus on career advancement and lean back allows you to explore 
what your longing is really about and where you want to place it. And the fact that, (laughs) you know, longing is about a lot of things and a lot of desires and not just about being successful in this very narrow, constricted way. I had a conversation last night with a friend who was talking about passion and I started laughing um, (laughs) because, you know, his understanding of passion was like this consuming, reckless, beautiful danger. (laughs) And I think that for a lot of people, longing can be that. But I don't think that that's the only productive way to see longing as connected to, say, passion. You know, I think that there are ways where leaning back can give you a much uh, wider field to think about how your desires interact with your behaviors and with the people around you and with your community and those sorts of things. And I really think that leaning back is a way of understanding the self, just like you said, well enough to be able to learn how to articulate your desires, not just for other people, but also for yourself. There's an appeal to leaning in. It seems convenient to direct all of your longing into one. In some ways it erases other longing that you have because you become so consumed with this one particular narrow goal. And that can be a comfort too, because you're like, there's this thing that I long for. I can articulate it now. And it's that I want to advance my career. And if I do that, I'll experience release. And when you lean back and you realize that it is way more complicated than that, Longing involves Mm -hmm. insane levels, different levels of your life and different people and different experiences. (laughs) You know, that becomes a lot more difficult. I mean, reckoning with how broad desire and longing can be is, can be, provoke a lot of anxiety. Yeah, because I feel like in order to become adept at pursuing longing in a productive way, there is a tremendous amount of analytical attention that needs to be paid to the self. And I think that because the culture is all about creating a pervasive sense that everybody is inept and is unfulfilled and unable and unfinished, that it's easy to fall into the trap of self-loathing and say, you know, I'm not good enough to meet any of my own needs. I can't attain the things that I want. I shouldn't even bother to try. You know, failure, 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 failure. And that's where the short-circuiting happens where people can't imagine their way into new futures. And then they spend all their time consuming things to distract them from what is ultimately an inability to confront the self. And the self as a mortal you know, as a mortal space, the ultimate result is that people then cannot confront themselves and themselves as mortals, themselves as fallible, themselves as lovable and loving, themselves as part of an intertwined community of people that they don't know but might want to. There's, I think, a real palpable terror among a lot of people who can't express their desires about looking inward. And I feel like if you can't look inward at your own longing, you certainly can't fulfill anybody else's.
Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by or on behalf of the University of Arkansas Fayette.